It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Anthony, you just knew that after that, like I came into the show in such a good positive mood. We had a contentious hour of calls, which is fine. It's good radio. People seem to enjoy it. Then you had to, you had to hit me with a little trombone shorty. Just had get, to, get man. The vibes had to do right. right. Get the vibes right. Much appreciated. Speaking of great vibes, speaking of great time, what better than Michael Phillips? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Not My Beat. Today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not my beat. Miguel joins us now, of course, on the guest line. Uh, you can listen to him 910 The Fan each and every weekday on the free Odyssey app, 10 a.m. to noon on 910 The Fan in Richmond. Michael, how are you, sir? Boy, I feel like that was a lot of hype. I don't know if I'll be able to live up to that or not. I'll do my best. Uh, that's all we really want out of you is your best, and we'll, we'll frankly live with the results. You can take that <laughs> however you want it because that sounded incredibly mean now that I hear it come out of my own mouth. <laughs> I, I shall give my all, and my all is all I have to give. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, uh, Michael, w- I'm going to ask you uh, the same two questions to, as a starting point here for our conversation that I asked the callers in the last hour, which is, what have you made of the process so far for the head coaching search? And who is your favorite to land as the commander's head coach? Uh, ben Johnson, obviously. I don't think I'm breaking any new ground there. I think he's the clear favorite at this juncture. I don't think it's a, you know, it's not a done deal until there's pen to paper. Uh, I would say the one obstacle at this point, potentially, is the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, the Falcons do seem to have zeroed in on Bill Belichick. Um, but, you know, things could things could happen there. That's a guy who is going to want a pretty elaborate agreement in place, is going to have a list of demands, is going to see things a certain way. And if things fall apart at the 11th hour there, uh, it sends everybody back into a game of musical chairs, right? And maybe Atlanta decides, you know, that Johnson's the guy for them. And, you know, all of a sudden everything goes into chaos. That said, I think this is an attractive job. I think he wants the job. I think they want him to have the job. Uh, I think the process has gone as smoothly and as quietly as you could hope for, Craig. We don't, you know, not a lot of it has has taken place in public, has transpired in public. Uh, I think that's a great thing. Um, you know, I, I, we talk about, like, recency bias, right? Like, you know, a, being biased by things that happen. I do think Dan Quinn is a, a solid candidate who had a really bad day on national TV. Uh, I also think the Ravens defensive guys are having phenomenal days on national TV. So I, I try not to get too caught up in all that, but uh, I, I think at the end of the day, you're, you're looking to Detroit on this one. No, I agree with you. And I, I think that, you know, what you said there at the end is really important is like the, what we see on TV is the resume. The resume gets you in the door. The interview gets you the job. Yeah. And my question would be, is there anybody that you think could come out of one of these interviews or have you heard, even better, Michael, reporting? Hey, hey, have you hey, heard, hey. especially in these in-person interviews, these second rounds or what came out of the virtuals that somebody set themselves up with another really good interview to potentially pass Johnson in this process, whether it is a Dan Quinn or Raheem Morris, uh, Aaron Glenn's going to get interviewed uh, after or before at the same time as roughly Johnson next week when the commander's brass flies to Detroit. Uh, to do those interviews. So, like, what is there anybody else that you would say, like, hey, with a really good interview, like, that person wouldn't surprise me? Yeah, if I'm sprinkling chips around the roulette board, right, I, I want a couple on Raheem Morris. That's a guy who's just really impressive. Um, and, and not only that, we, we talk about this being a thorough process, and this is a thorough process, by the way, 
Myers and Spielman and Harris and all these guys, um, they're going to talk to a lot of people and they're going to gather a lot of information. And the more information they gather, you know this, Greg, the more they're going to like Raheem Morris. Yes. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot to like there. Players love playing for him. And that's not to say they won't like what they hear about Ben Johnson. They're going to like what they hear about him too. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of people really banging the drum for Raheem Morris in a way. And I don't want this to sound comparative, um, but it kind of is, I guess. In you know, this is like part two of what you heard about Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs, right? They they really want him to get that job, but it just feels like there's more people going louder for Raheem Morris. Like, hey, this is a guy who needs to be an NFL head coach and and deserves a second opportunity um, and is ready and qualified for that opportunity. Uh, I think he will impress in the interview. Um, by all accounts, uh, Eric Bieniemy impressed in his interview. Um, I don't think he's a serious contender for the job. Uh, I I think that is for reasons that don't involve his qualifications or non-qualifications for the job, just reasons that involve it's time for a fresh start here. And he just got caught up in a bad season at a bad time. Uh, I, I hope he gets another opportunity in the league. Uh, you know, he's interviewed with 16 teams now for an NFL head coaching spot. Uh, I got to think his number will get called eventually, but uh, you know, it looks like it may not be in this cycle. Yeah, no, I, I think that's another good point. We part of our intense calls of the last hour was about, mostly about the enemy, and um, that is something that I wish I brought up as well. Is like the fresh start thing. I think it's very, very real here, and you know that's another knock against Eric. That's not necessarily his fault, um, but it is a reality of the situation. Um, for Morris, too, another quick sidebar. Like I think Raheem is a good reminder to all of these coaches to not take the Carolina job. You don't, <laughs> yeah. Like Raheem Morris having been a head coach in Tampa is hurting him more than it is helping him. And it's a reminder that taking the first job offer you get that is available, if you truly think that you can get another one, might not be. And this is like good life advice. Don't just take the first offer when it comes. Take the right offer. Because I, I think that if Raheem Morris hadn't been the head coach in Tampa all those years ago when he was 31 years old or whatever he was, then he like he wouldn't be available for the commanders to even consider right now because he'd be a head coach somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, co-sign that to Mike McDonald in Baltimore, right? Like, all this guy does is shred Kyle Shanahan offenses. It's incredible. Like, I mean, this is the hottest offensive program going in the NFL. Everybody's trying to get a piece of the Shanahan offense. McVay's running it. LaFleur's running it. Bobby Sloak's running it in Houston. All this guy does is shred those offenses every time he plays them. He, he's 36. He's young, he's hot, he's only going to be hotter. Imagine if he bottles up Mahomes after bottling up, you know, San Francisco on national TV. Don't take a job just because you're offered a job. There will be opportunities for you. Don't you worry about that, buddy. So let's play the game then. Let's let's go around the NFL. Do uh, we just get to, you know, I'm going to embrace your radio hostness now instead of your reporter. Oh, uh, there we go. I love it. Uh, Michael Phillips with us, of course, MP on the mic, 910 The Fan, 10 a.m. to noon daily in Richmond. And you can listen to his show on the free Odyssey app. So let's, let's dot the map. Uh, ben Johnson's the prediction here. What about Atlanta? Do you think it's Belichick? It seems like that's uh, I'll go headed. Belichick in Atlanta and Harbaugh to Los Angeles. Okay. I think those are the two kind of most obvious ones. Okay, so that leaves Tennessee now uh, covered. Uh, Brian Callahan, who, by yeah. the way, good hire for them. They weren't probably going to get Johnson. They weren't going to get McDonald. They weren't going to get the top, top guys. Callahan's a really good coach. Um, and by the way, now every single, whether it's due to promotion or firing, every single team in the NFL has changed offensive coordinators since 2022. 
Isn't that incredible? And I'll, I'll zoom in on that point before we get back to the game. You're either an offensive coordinator who's calling plays, and that means if you're good, you get to be a head coach, or you're an offensive coordinator and you work under somebody calling plays, which means you got to get out of there and start calling plays so you can be a head coach. There, there's really no, no in-between. There's no room for the Wade Phillips veteran offensive coordinator who just oversees things that that guy doesn't exist right now. No, the closest one is probably uh, Brian Schottenheimer in Dallas. I've, that, that's who's down there, right? With, uh, with McCarthy. Uh, you know, his travails are legendary, but uh, you know that the fact that he's never even gotten a sniff probably tells you what you need to know there. Yeah. So he's, he's kind of doing the, I'm never going to get a head coach supervision, uh, not calling plays bit. Um, all right. So Seattle is then the next job. Who do we think I'm, winds up in Seattle? I'm really – that's the one I'm most intrigued by. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll knock out Carolina for you, Aaron Glenn. Um, I, I just think Carolina is going to be the one – look, the reputation is the reputation. We, we saw that with, with everything going on here with Ron Rivera's hire, with Jay Gruden's hire. The top names didn't want to come to Washington. The top names don't want to work for Tepper right now in Carolina. Uh, that, that's, not, that's not intended to disrespect – Aaron Glenn, who's done some great things, but I, I, if he senses this is his year to jump, I think that's the place he ultimately jumps to. Um, so hold on, real quick, I'll double click yeah. on that real quick. Yeah, I don't disagree it. with that because I think it is important to remember that Aaron Glenn was like a game from getting fired in the middle of last year, and they it turned it around like, and have been yeah. incredible since. But like, I don't know, like Aaron Glenn being a hot name a year from now isn't as guaranteed, I think, as Mike McDonald. That is exactly the point I was making, so thank you for making it better than me. If you sense this is your moment and the, the skillet is red hot and you got to go, you got to go, man. Go go get your money. Uh, I don't blame you for putting bread on the table. For sure. All right, so that leaves Seattle. That leaves Seattle. I, I think the obvious answer is Dan Quinn because of the ties. I, I don't know. I could see them really going off the board here. I could see them going for a Mike McDonald. I could see them going – for a Bobby Slovak, and let's just have a division of Kyle Shanahan disciples uh, up and down. Uh, we haven't heard from Mike Rabel. Is he potentially a good fit as a culture guy in what was a culture team for a decade and a half under Pete Carroll? Uh, I am most intrigued by that one. I'd be curious who you got. Yeah, I think Quinn is is definitely intriguing there. Slovak is also intriguing. I don't know that Vrabel in Seattle is a fit. Like It's a culture thing, but it's a different culture. Like, Pete Carroll built a culture of competitiveness and fun. What about anybody from the Belichick tree says fun? And now, Vrabel definitely has shown a fun side. Some of his interviews with, like, Will Compton on the bus, for instance. There is a fun side there, but I think it's a very different kind of atmosphere than what Pete Carroll built, and that is a priority for John Schneider, the GM up there, is to keep kind of the culture that uh, Pete in Seattle, or Pete had built there. Oh, no question. You know, this is not let's rebuild, let's go for something new, right? All, all coaching searches are fundamentally one of two things, Craig. They're either let's find what we had and keep it rolling or let's find the opposite of what we had because what we had sucked. And um, Seattle search is absolutely let's find what we had and keep it rolling, right? New England search was that. Let's find another Belichick. We got one on staff. Let's grab him. Let's keep it moving. Uh, Washington search is let's find the opposite. And uh, off they go to find the opposite. Uh, I, I think Seattle could be a real wild card. Um, I, you know, I, I would guess the field, if you gave me the big names or, or names not on the board, but if we got a pick from the big names, I, it, it's hard not to think Dan Quinn. I, the, the players loved him there. He knows what Carroll's about. 
Uh, he just feels like the most logical fit there. S- sometimes it just feels like you should just do the logical thing. And if you fail, it's like, well, it made all the sense in the world. What, what, you you, know, you cannot be blamed for making that hire. Right. If you're the guy pulling the trigger, like if you make an adventurous hire, you can be blamed for it later. You can get the credit too, but you can be blamed. If you hire Dan Quinn and it doesn't work out, nobody's blaming you. And I don't think it wouldn't work out. I think he's a good coach. No, I, I agree with that. Um, so then that leaves a couple of names that I think are interesting. By the way, the other name to watch for me in Carolina is their current DC Evero. Um, young. Absolutely. And like, if I'm him though, do I want that job? That, that to me is more what that's about. Um, or do you just figure, Hey, like we, our defense is pretty good. I've, I've respected in the building. And if it doesn't work out here, people are going to blame the owner, not me. So maybe I'll just take the money. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go out on a limb here. He's going to be a head coach in the NFL within the next five years. I don't know if this is his cycle. Um, this is not a, you need to do it while you're hot situation. This is a, you're only going to get hotter situation, right? You think about like, Man, I mean, just just in Detroit with with Johnson sitting out the last cycle, it just made him even hotter this time around. I, I could see a similar situation playing out there. So then the other name that I think is intriguing that is not being mentioned. I mean, there's definitely some other ones that are intriguing and not being mentioned. But uh, I, I think the most intriguing, the one, like the one that makes the least sense to me that's not being mentioned right now is Dave Canellis, the OC in Tampa. He was the OC in Seattle. When Gino had his revival year two years ago, he goes to to Tampa, revives Baker this year. I would be super interested in and in interviewing him and kind of understanding: is this dude got the goods, or is he just a smart OC? Does like where are we at with him? He's only interviewed from what I can find, Michael, in Carolina, and maybe they they go after him. If I'm him, I might turn that down and bet on the fact that I'm going to be a hot name next year. But like, I'm kind of interested that Seattle hasn't thought like yeah let's bring him back yeah you know it it makes you wonder right that that in free agency right you're always looking you know is a team going to sign a guy if they if they want to re-sign a guy you want him and if they don't want to re-sign a guy you don't want him right that if that's the only piece of information you've got right oh he's available oh shoot that means the team that had him didn't want him we shouldn't sign him or they're trying to sign him yeah throw money at him like that's the guy we want try to pry him out of there um, I don't know. I don't have any inside information there. I do know if I were Carolina, I'd look long and hard there. You got a young quarterback that really needs some mentoring. You got a guy who gets the most out of quarterbacks. Um, I could see that being a very logical fit there for sure. No doubt. All right. Uh, last thing that I can think of real quick, unless I'm missing some major topic that we should be talking about. Um, but where do you think the enemy ultimately lands? Like he's, he's not going to be here as the OC, so he's going to probably be an OC somewhere. And also who gets a job first, him or Rivera? You know, I, I do think he's an OC somewhere. I agree with that. I don't think he'll be left without a seat. Some people are wondering like, a, oh my gosh, you know, is he going to have to go down to being a quarterback's coach or a lower level coach? I don't think so. I think there's an OC job for him out there. I, I don't know where it is, um, but, but I know he's respected in the league. And I, I think, look, what he did in Washington is fine. It's not a plus. It's not a minus. He was here. He was part of a bad situation. What happened in Kansas City this year where there was some pretty real regression early in the year, that's a point in his favor. Um, he gets teams ready to go from week one. Um, and you saw that here. Like There is no acclimation period. They are ready to go. He runs one of the few tough training camps left in football. That's why he's polarizing. But that's why his teams are ready to play week one and why the Chiefs weren't ready to play week one this year. Um, Rivera, I think, is an interesting one. I, look, 
you're going to want to talk to him for strategic reasons, if nothing else, because he's got a he's got a library of information about National Football League teams up there. Uh, so I think he's going to get a lot of interviews. Uh, I think ultimately he's a linebackers coach guy. I don't think he's a defensive coordinator somewhere, but I've been wrong before. So I'll I'll take the enemy first in that first level of hires. Rivera coming second as t- as people fill out their staff. Uh, I get the sense Rivera wants to coach though, so I think he will coach. No, I agree with that and. I think, like, the one thing that I can't get out of my head with Rivera more than anything else in terms of his potential viability as a coach is the people that I know who, and, like, I will name Logan by name because Logan said this into a microphone on our podcast multiple times. Like, the people that I know, Logan included, but Logan's not the only one, who have actually talked football with Ron, who, like, get past the the manager Like, let me speak to the manager. Actually, forget him. Let me speak to the football coach. Like, you get past the manager, you get past the BS, you get past the narrative chasing, and you actually talk football with the guy. He's really smart. And so, like, as a football coach, he's kind of intriguing. But will will the other stuff that he wasn't good at as a head coach get in the way? Like, has the game passed him by? He hasn't done it in a long time. Like, yeah, the defense was better in the final five weeks in Washington, but they still stunk and they lost all five games. So... I, like, I struggle with what to make of him going down a level or possibly two as a linebacker's coach or a D.C., whereas Biennemi, like, there's a dozen places that are going to have O.C. openings that I would, I would consider talking to the guy. He's such a logical fit in all of them. With Ron, too, you give him a linebacker's room, all six of those guys are going to run through a wall for him, like, by, by week three. Just guys love him, and part of it in Washington was he was spread too thin. He needed to be too many things to too many people. Uh, it didn't get you remember when he left Carolina, it was just such a like everybody came out of the woodwork to share like how much he meant to them, how much of a mentor he was to them. And you heard some of those stories here, but it wasn't the same. He was spread too thin here. If you give if you give me a little some concentrated Ron Rivera, I, I know maybe the game's passed him by a little bit. I know maybe he's a little bit older, but dang, if you give me a room of six guys and let Ron mentor them, I, I do think they'll love him and run through a wall for him and it'll work out all right. Yeah, for sure. I was just trying to think of landing spots for EB, and I had to look up. Jacksonville fired all their defensive coaches. If they had fired, I and mean, their their OC Press Taylor is pretty well thought of, but damn, yeah. if I'm if I'm Doug Peterson and I can bring EB in as even if as an assistant head coach, I would do that in a second with Trevor Lawrence as my quarterback. Are you kidding me? You, you know, there there's so many teams that could benefit from that kick in the pants. That don't sleep on Cincinnati either. Uh, Cincinnati yeah. has an opening now. Uh, I could absolutely see that being a good fit for him. Uh, you know, a, a team that really underachieved to a large degree and, and maybe the window's closed in a little bit and uh, they, they need some fresh blood and a guy who's, who's not afraid to ruffle some feathers to, to get there. Like we always, I felt like we talked about it too often. Like that was a bad thing. Like he's willing to ruffle some feathers. There are some organizations out there that that would be a wonderful asset to their organization. hundred percent. Like you, you have to be willing to ruffle feathers. You also have to be willing to listen. And I think that's a part of the fear of him as, as a head coach is like, what happens when the feather ruffler is unchecked? Cause he's the lead guy. And I, and I do wonder like if that's kind of come up in interviews where coach like GMs are like, I don't know if I want that guy running the team, but I want him somewhere on staff. And like, you know, that's why some guys are great coordinators and other guys are great head coaches. And maybe EB would, would understand that. And he's a very, very smart man. Like, there's definitely 
Um, I think a level there there are levels that he could he could you know ride the elevator with. But I definitely agree with you that Cincinnati and, and some of these other places, like as these guys depart for head coaching gigs, there's a lot of good fits, and especially if you have a talented quarterback, like letting E B or having E B help that guy cook sounds like a, a good idea. All right, Michael Phillips is on nine ten the fan every single weekday from ten AM to noon he joins us weekly here on the hoffman show and we'll do that at least through the end of this coaching search which michael could be next week could be the week after who knows we could be talking all the way through february at this point we'll see we made the announcement on uh, our show we're taking it to the super bowl radio row uh, oh you are coming to vegas i will you be in vegas i'm going to vegas i'll see you in vegas let's go let's go go. what days are you being are you out there We'll be full Monday to Friday from Vegas. Nice. We're I'm going Wednesday to Friday. So we fly out Tuesday. Miss like Tuesday won't be on the air. I won't be. I'm sure like Doc or Linnell will be in and they'll do a great job because that's what they do. Uh but yeah. then Wednesday, Wednesday through Friday, we're in Vegas. I'm pretty pumped oh. about it. Yeah, and then and then I'm doing are you doing indie too? And I am not that I just want to say that is such a veteran move. Like the guests on Radio Row get exponentially better with every day. My guy Hoffman just like strutting in like all right, did we deal with the riffraff? I'm ready to make some radio now. Let's go. Let's go. Um, we'll see. I don't know. Sometimes sometimes the afternoon shows, it thins out a little bit. People are like, all right, I think being on West Coast time will help. Nothing no worse doubt. than being My- a morning radio show on West Coast time. You're just outside of that realm, but it could be a little sleepy at 7 a.m. on Radio Row in Vegas for you. I'll, I'll start up Radio Row, but uh, the, the part where I sign off uh, before lunch and have the rest of the day to, the day to myself, that part's not too shabby. No, that is that is true. All right, well, hopefully I'll see you before Vegas, probably at a coach introductory press conference. But if not, I'll see you in Las Vegas, Michael. Las Vegas, baby, let's go. Good chatting with you, Craig Hoffman. Uh, you as well, Michael Phillips. Thank you, sir. That is Michael Phillips, everybody, with us on the Hoffman Show. 10 a.m. to noon, you can listen to his show on 910 The Fan via the free Odyssey app. When we get back, uh, let's do this. Let's get you a little insight from, speaking of Logan Paulson, uh, some insight from him on these coaching candidates. Uh, So we will do that next, specifically on Mike McDonald. Uh, Went a little bit deeper on the Ravens and kind of what they do and what's made him special through the lens of the games this weekend. So that is next here on the Team 980. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. We'll talk a little NBA, huge news day, and huge performance last night from Joel Embiid with Josh Harris in the front row. Talk about all that coming up right at 6 o'clock right now, though time for a little take command. So the uh, conversation that we had uh, on today's show was a comprehensive recap of the divisional games through the lens of the commander's future. Like, looking at the coaching candidates, looking at how the rosters were built, looking at all that stuff. And I started off asking Logan about how these resume-building playoff performances actually turn into, or don't, coordinators getting head coaching jobs. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think it's something that people maybe don't fully understand. Like, obviously, it's an important data point, and it's something that is relevant to your coaching search because you want guys that win football games. But ultimately, like, I think people really, fans and people that aren't familiar with the process, really undervalue the interview process. Yes. Like, the resume is important, obviously, and, and you winning football games is important. But what do you like in the room? You know, like, when Kyle and Sean were both interviewing for jobs, there was this, like, prevailing thought that, that Sean 
was going to be more impressive in the interview because he interviewed better. And like there was opportunities for Sean that weren't there for Kyle because Kyle, you know, like has changed in this regard, but was a little bit standoffish, a little bit abrasive at that point in his career. And, you know, obviously has grown out of that and become this, this guy that is a brilliant head coach. Um, but I think there's so much to be said for how you deal with the people in that room that are on that team of, of the selection committee, right? How you talk to Josh Harris, how you talk to um, Adam Gates, all, all these different guys, right? Like how, what does that look like? What is your vision? How do you present that? Cause really like everyone gives Ron a hard time for saying that he's been managing for the last three years, but the head coach is a leader, a manager, unless you're calling plays, obviously that's a little bit different, but it's really about your relationship with those people and how you present yourself in those meetings. So while that is an important data point, like it doesn't really matter. Like you, once you get in that room, that's the thing that's going to really decide. Like think about Sean's record, but what, like when he went out to LA, like the, the year prior when they were coached, it wasn't great. It wasn't like, Oh my gosh, here's this guy that's been super successful, super dynamic. It's like you were hiring a guy who was a charismatic leader, who had a vision for an offense, who had a vision for a team and he had a good uh, inter, inter, interpersonal relationships that were very high or that skill was very high for him. So I look at that and I think like that's what that's why you're doing these interviews, right, is to get that stuff. It's not the football stuff. These guys are all smart football coaches like the, all the guys we've talked about on this show. All the guys they have interviewed are very, very smart football minds. It's about the interpersonal relationships and your vision for the team that can only be kind of seen when you're in that interview process. No, I'm so glad you said that. I talked about this on the radio show on Monday, and I used Sean exactly as an example. His last game in 2016, to take it to like the head-to-head Slug versus McDonald thing, right? Yeah. His last game as offensive coordinator of the Commanders in 2016 was against Steve Spagnola and the Giants, uh, Spags being the defensive coordinator, right? Like, Spags is an incredible defensive coordinator. Uh, he's gone on, obviously, since 2019 to win a couple of Super Bowls in Kansas City. He was a part of the Giants Super Bowl winning teams uh, back in the late, you know, the late aughts, early 2010s. Like, he is fantastic at that job. But if you come out of that absolute flop of a game at the end of 2016 where the commanders have a chance to get into the playoffs and they come up short and their offense looks terrible, it's one of the worst games Kirk ever played uh, in Washington – like if you just judge it off of that head-to-head matchup, you'd be like, "Oh, why doesn't Spags have the job? Right. Why? Why doesn't like that's just not how this works. It's about a different skill set." Now, I do think that a clear vision for football is really important as a head coach, um, and, and that is essential to kind of partnering with Peters and building the team. Right? Right. Like if you can't communicate your vision of what you want your team to be, you're not going to hire a good staff because you're going to hire a bunch of maybe talented people, but that don't fit together. Like kind of what happened to Frank Reich last year in Carolina. You had all these very good coaches, all of whom are going to go get maybe even in some cases better jobs somewhere else, but didn't work well together because they didn't see the games in similar ways. Uh, if you don't have that and you can't lead that way, that's that's going to be a problem. But it's not necessarily about how good you are as a coordinator with another person over you as head coach. You know, the, the last point I'll make on this to touch on like what Ron said about the managing versus coaching thing is like the Ron may have correctly identified his split between managing and coaching, but like that belies the fact the way he presented it is like, hey man, like that is the job is to manage. You didn't do a very good right. job of it, and right. and obviously that is seen in the results. So I say that just to point that out, not necessarily to pile on, right. but 
managing is the job often of a coach. The higher up you are on the ladder, the more managing you're going to have to do. And so Mike McDonald crushing Bobby Slowick for a second time this year with his very, 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 very good Ravens defense doesn't necessarily mean that like, oh, he's got a vault to the top of the head coaching list. That said, what he's doing is insanely impressive. Yeah, what he's doing is insanely impressive. Again, like that's a very, very talented group, top to bottom. Like defensive backs are playing really well, linebackers are playing well, defensive line is playing out of this world. Just the depth they have there and the rotational ability, like the fact they're able to get so much out of a Kyle Van Oy, a guy that was on the couch, you know, for the first half of the season, comes out and looks awesome. You know, Jadavian Clowney having the most productive year of his career. And again, like the talent's important, but, you know, seeing what he's doing, McDonald's doing from a blitz standpoint, and it really, to me, just shows you how important, like, all these games, you know, like, we're going to talk in generalities because there's not enough time to talk specifically about each single one, but when you can find ways to generate pressure with scheme in the NFL, you're winning, you're winning football games, and I think that's what Baltimore does such a good job of. It's like, yes, you have four guys, probably six or seven guys there that can win one one pass rush, but I'm not going to ask you every single down to do that because I know that's really hard. I know that's like an unrealistic expectation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find ways to kind of create overloads, have fire zones, mess with protection rules, create free runners that will later on free you up in those obvious four-man situations. And I think like when you look at the Baltimore game, that's the thing that separates the the the, the defensive performances because I do think that D'Amico Ryan's called a pretty good game. I'm like, man, I like this call here. I like this pressure. I like this coverage. But the Baltimore offensive line, they just seemed a little bit more prepared in terms of how they were going to handle some of those looks. And then the other thing that just is so glaring in this game and all the games in the playoffs is that quarterback needs to be a playmaking entity for you. Like it just, it, it has to happen. And I think about, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks here in a little bit for the draft. And I don't. I hate to be a guy of the moment, but every year in the playoffs, there's a reason like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson are guys that you're just like you're sweating bullets when you have to play because like there's a simple play where Tamiko does a great job bringing nickel pressure. There's two free runners to the quarterback. Lamar kind of feathers back, buys a little bit of time, uses that athleticism, completes the ball for a first down. You're like that is backbreaking for a defense because that's the right call, that's the right execution, and the quarterback just says, you know what, I'm better than you on this play and so good luck and then and I think that's the difference obviously is is a, a talented roster with a good dynamic quarterback and a, and a defensive play caller that understood how to break protections and create pressure with an experienced defensive group to me is kind of the the thing that defines that game yeah for sure and I think on the other side of it right like obviously Stroud's a playmaker as well and there's some moments in yes. that game where he extends drives and that's great but generally speaking the offense of the Texans felt the pressure like mm. McDonald and Anthony Weaver and that staff dialed up tighten the screws so much on Houston that not only did they score three points but all the penalties like the offsides like they were jumpy the entire right. game and to have an offense that by the way put up what 45 on the Browns the week before to have them be that out of sorts that out of whack that unconfident that they're jumping off sides you know it wants a series yeah. um that they've got all these penalties they just can't execute the basics because because the, they're so tight um is is really impressive um and and again like I feel like sometimes we you know, we feel like we're just downplaying McDonald because of how no, talented yeah. they are and, and, you know, kind of making the point that they're, they're different jobs. But I, I just can't speak 
you know, highly enough of kind of what they're doing. And like you said, like, is there talent? Yes. But some of that talent is, you know, guys that's primed five years ago and he, right. he's found, found the fountain of youth for them and found ways to set them up for success. Yeah. And I don't want to make it sound like he's not like, again, like I was, this is a game where I was really impressed with their blitz vision, you know, and how they yeah. executed their coverages. Like they just did such a good job of like in key moment. And it's not only the blitz because everyone runs, not everyone runs them, but a lot of teams run these blitzes, right? The blitzes where you're bringing four to a side and you're dropping a guy out. To me, I just see the timing of it is so high yeah. level, right? And it's just They're like, such oh, good teachers in Baltimore. Yes, yes. And like the timing of it, the execution, like how, they, how the defensive end hooks the tackles inside arm so there's no way they can bump through, how, wait the de- how long the defensive tackles wait when they're the guys dropping out in the zones and how quickly they get to spots and how they know how to match. Because so many times, man, people use defensive linemen to drop and you're relying on the defensive line coach to coach those drops and you just get two guys Guys who are dropping to nothing, right? They're, they're 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 not good at matching concepts, and you see these guys. You see Pierce, their nose guard, who's three seventy five, matching number three with his eyes, running that direction. Like I know what to do in these situations, so I don't want to detract from him in any way. Like they're a very talented team, but you see it in the details, man. You see it in the timing, you see it in the understanding. You again to get to to get your nose guard to say I have to match number three in this look and to create a cloudy throwing window is big time stuff in addition to having all these unique dynamic playmakers in the back end you know Roquan Smith Patrick Queen I look at Ham uh, Hamilton right Kyle Hamilton yeah, Kyle and like Hamilton, what, yeah. how, how they use him it's just they, they're doing some again it's it's basic stuff done at a high level and then there's some innovative stuff that you see like with Wink Martindale like we talked about in the last podcast where you're like right man that's a really good blitz but again other teams do it it's just their execution given the talent given the coaching is just is is just at a high level yeah um so the teaching thing I wanted to follow up on that from your career and like to me that's a trait that could translate really well to a head coach because it shows like a clarity of vision and an ability like I look at a guy like Mike McDonald and I don't know that he's the one teaching all this stuff maybe he's got great position coaches maybe it's both um clearly Anthony Weaver is very highly thought of he's also getting head coaching looks as the the D-line coach right but when you look at just how solid they are on all three levels you have to think McDonald's a big part of teaching not just some of the bigger concepts but some of the techniques and how to execute them and, and really getting that vision so everybody understands what you're trying to accomplish as a group, not just what the individual jobs are. And to me, that would translate really well, not just to a defense that he could be coordinating as he's the head coach, but it's like, if you have an offensive player who is struggling to get something, to have someone with that clear of a global understanding of football, yeah. like to me, that would translate well as a head coach. Is that is that me putting together dots that don't connect or is that something that you've seen true in your career? Well, I just think about the best teachers that I had as position coaches, and I think about Kyle and how good of a teacher he was. And so obviously I'm biased towards that. I think Sean was one of the best teachers I had as a tight end coach. As a coordinator, he was a great teacher. Kyle was a great teacher, um, you know, as a coordinator, like in terms of his understanding of defense and how to kind of maximize you. And I, and I think that's what you're seeing from a defensive perspective. It's one of the things we've always said about Wink Martindale and why he would potentially be a good head coach is because he understands – defensively or offensively what you're trying to do to him and mm-hmm. I am coaching you up obviously it's it's clear just in the details of it of how to beat what the offense is presenting and I think that's where you say those skill sets those visions are are in my experience what good coaches do you know what I mean and I think like there's a reason 
you know, like Kyle Shanahan, for example, his tree is so prolific or Mike Shanahan and that tree is so prolific is because he's got a bunch of guys who, who are good teachers, good communicators, and they understand the opposition. They understand football at a high level, right? They understand offensively how to beat defenses because these are the defensive rules. And I think you're seeing a little bit of that with Mike McDonald, where you're seeing these are the defensive principles we're trying to teach and this is how we're going to teach them to beat offensive football right now and I think that's like you know there's a reason that like when you know in a heavy play action offense you're bringing these edge pressures like you're you're kind of challenging the the backs and the tight ends in ways that make it very hard to execute these protections which lead to explosive plays and I like that you know we talked about in the San Francisco game that we watched how we're going to take away Christian McCaffrey we're going to make sure that he's not a factor in this game and that's just good process. And I think like it goes, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. I'm a good teacher. I understand football. I understand the direction the game is going. I understand what you're trying to do to us. And then I can communicate it to the guys because obviously the execution, you know, they do have good players, obviously, but the execution's at a very high level. Right. So that leads to the last thing before we talk about Kyle's team itself, uh, 49ers Packers. Uh, and then obviously we'll hit the other two games as well, but wrap up the Saturday games here in a second. But like, it is worth pointing out for McDonald, like the resume side of it, he's the only guy that seems to be able to shut down the Shanahan tree. Yeah. Like as he, you know, he's in the coordinator coordinator position of the team that has smacked San Francisco, smacked Houston twice, smacked everybody else, Detroit, like all of them. They've crushed them. What, yeah. it, what is it that he's doing to this style of offense that is killing everyone else? That is is not working against Baltimore. So I think it's it's multifactorial, obviously, but the one of the things that sticks out to me from a team building standpoint, because that's what we're going to be talking about here with the GM and the head coach, is when you look at Baltimore, they are a very big, very physical football team. And I don't think that's an accident. Like one of the things with outside zone, for example, and like, so think about it, like in Kyle's system, in Mike's system, whoever, you know, it's outside zone sets up play action pass. And outside zone, the whole principle is we're going to try and get you to run horizontally to create horizontal lanes for the running back to hit. And then when we hit the play action pass, you have to move horizontally with us, vacating zones in the defense so we can hit the throw. And I think one of the things that I've seen and one of the things that I thought that Ron was going to try and do here with the defensive line personnel that they had is just get really big up front and be really physical and set nice physical edges. So then if I set physical edges, I can't stretch the defense. There's nowhere for the ball to go because I've got Jadavian Clowney smashing through the tight end's face and the back has to cut it up before he super wants to. Super fun when you're the tight end, huh? Yeah, it's super fun. I have, I have a, like, I remember one time, like, this is Jadavian Clowney's rookie year. We had outside zone. Got to get your hat across his hat. And I remember hitting him like pretty much screw to screw. And this is probably not the healthiest thing in the world, but feeling like, an, like an electric jolt from the top of my head down to my feet. And I just was like, that's not great. You know, and like that, that, that's how, that's how he's setting edges, you know, to, to kind of speak to that, right? A violent and, edge, as they say. And you need to have guys who can block those edges, but you also need to have guys who set them. And when you look at how they're built, they're big inside, they're big on the edges. I, from a team building standpoint, obviously there's more technical things going on here in terms of how they coach stuff up, the fronts they play, the the allocate. Like I, we talked about this last show, like they get into different spacings. And one of the things about Kyle that's so brilliant is he's like, if you're going to get in this spacing 60% of, 60% of the time, we're going to crush it. We're going to beat it because we know how to create angles to this. And they do a little bit of variety there. So you're not always in the same front spacing, which I think is great. But I, I just think there's something too. We are a big 
physical football team. You look at their offensive line, they're all like 330 plus. They're just massive, physical, athletic guys that have developed in that system. And I, again, I don't think it's an accident. Like they, they're always like, they, they drafted Ben Cleveland. He's 6'6, six, six, he's 360. They drafted Daniel Falele. He's 6'9, 415. Like mm-hmm. they get these guys that are just big, huge, physical dudes and they create a culture of physicality for those guys. And I, I think that's part of it. It's, some, it's sometimes like, you know, we're drawing up X's and O's on the on the board. And when I'm playing Baltimore, I'm like, man, I don't know if our tight end can make this block. Man, I don't know if our guard can make this block because this three technique's gonna blow him up because he's three forty and our guard's two ninety. again, it's it's more complicated than that because there's schematic stuff with, which we get into and the confidence with which with they play. But there's something to that. There's something to having a 6'4", 225-pound nickel player that can play the post, that can play a box and cover your running back. Like, there's something to that mentality. And so I think, like, when you're building a team, like, they have a very clear identity. They have a very clear vision of who they want to be and how they want to play. And, and again, I think that's part of the reason why when you play Miami, like, Miami's not a big group up front. You're going to get after them. So I think that's part of it. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, tell you what, instead of going to the other Saturday game, 49ers Packers, let's hit uh, Chiefs Bills real quick and just do the AFC. And that way we can talk a little bit about the matchup uh, with Kansas City and Baltimore coming up on Sunday. But this game, tremendous, tremendous yeah. football game, um, as is always like this game followed the script that all the others have. It's a tremendous football game that ends with Kansas City winning. And it's, I cannot believe it's another wide right for Buffalo. I just Crazy. feel so awful. For them and their fans, like literally let them lose in any other heartbreaking f- fashion. Um, you know, let the kick go wide left. Just literally <laughs> don't let the kick go wide right. Um, but also, you know, obviously some decisions by Josh Allen late. Um, I think one where he goes for the end zone that you're like, well, he's wide open. He just misses the guy. And some yeah. others where you're like, ah, let's just t- check it down, get a little bit shorter of a kick. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, I-, I think what's so impressive about Kansas City is they find a run game in the yeah. playoffs. And while, yes, they are pass happy and and outside of Washington, they were the pass happiest team in the league. Mahomes had more attempts than anybody but Hal. Um, and I think it wound up being one attempt different by the end of the year. When it comes time to it and defenses are like, nope, we're not giving up this, right. not to Patrick Mahomes, they always seem to be able to find a way. And Isaiah Pacheco uh, was the way in this one. Yeah, he was the way. Again, a nice physical game by him, just such a physical running style. And the both teams, both teams found ways to run the football, that which are traditionally like passing teams. You're rushing, you're running John Allen, Josh Allen a little bit more, right? Um, Cook is doing a great job carrying the football and creating plays for you. They've got depth at the running back spot, the offensive line for them, which was kind of much maligned the the Bron- uh, the Bills at the beginning of the season they kind of find their form and like those big athletic dudes up front are, are making plays for you, which is great to see. But I do think it just shows you like as much as you want to throw the football, you got to be able to run the ball. And I, and this is something that maybe comes back to my biases of when I was watching the game. But when I look at, um, you know, Indianapolis, when I look at new England, there's a reason that new England came out victorious in a lot of those matchups, even though I think Peyton Manning, was kind of a more consistently a better quarterback is because when they had to change gears, when they had to change their identity, they could run the football at a high level. I'm talking about New England. And I think it's cool to see Kansas City adopt that and not have to lean on Patrick Mahomes. And I thought it was great to see from the Bills as well. And then kind of package that all in, this, this, these two 
I'm going to say dynamic rushing attacks because they did some really impressive stuff and the running backs were great with quarterbacks that just, I mean, every third down they're elevating the offense, every third down, they got to make a play in the red zone. They're making plays like some of those throws, some of the ability. And it just, again, it goes back to the Lamar Jackson thing, but when you have that guy and, and we were really fortunate and blessed to watch this game because I think those are two top five guys, probably one and maybe three or four, depending on how you want to allocate your quarterbacks, you know, and Josh Allen. But when he's playing good football, he's probably one of the, he's probably two, you know, like when he's playing high level football yeah. and that's what he looked like. And um, it just shows you like when you have a guy who can just absolutely deal, you don't have to make a perfect play call, you know? And I think that that's something that uh, when we're talking about the commanders, like the importance of that second pick overall, just it, it, when I'm watching the game, I can't stop thinking about it. I'm like, you need, a, you need, you need a coordinator that understands the importance of running the football, but you got to have a guy back there who can make and extend plays. And it's tough. It's just, it was such a good game. Like talk about the games of the weekend. Like those were such fun games to watch, but um, yeah, man, I feel bad for Josh Allen. Cause I feel like he did everything he could. And then people point to that, third and nine kind of in their own zone right before the field goal is like a play that he could have done different. But I'm like, what about all like these other 50 plays where he's or not 50, but 30, 25 plays where he's just doing absolute magic. He's running over defensive tackles. He's, you know, like I just felt like I was watching a kid in the 65 yard bomb in the air that digs drops. And you're just like, Insane. this is incredible. Like, this is incredible. So um, it's too bad that it didn't work out for him. Again, like, I'm happy for Patrick Mahomes. I'm happy for Kansas City. I'm happy for good football. But, I mean, I just thought that was such a heroic performance until you didn't get those plays where you got to have them at the end of the game, which I'm sure Buffalo fans are pissed about today. So... All right, that was from Take Command, which is available now in full. We talked about the NFC games as well. Why Logan was so impressed with what Ben Johnson was doing uh, and, of course, previewing uh, the games coming up this weekend. We also started to take a look at some of the guys that are going to be at the Senior Bowl next week. And on Take Command on Thursday, proud to announce, we announced it on the show, on the, on the podcast, but announced it here as well, that Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, will be joining us. Jim is incredible in all things, not just draft, but like personnel. So the front office guys, like he'll have a take on and, and a read and experience with Adam Peters. Um, he'll have thoughts on on the young coaches. Like he just knows everybody in the NFL. And so Jim Nagy will join us on Thursday's podcast. Excited to bring that uh, interview to you here on the radio in full on the Hoffman Show as well. When we get back, it is our final segment with Georgetown taking the air at 6.15 tonight. And we will talk about the big NBA news of the day. Why did the Milwaukee Bucks, second in the Eastern Conference, 30-13 and 13 on the year, fire their head coach? And why, for those that pay attention to the NBA, is it not that surprising? Tell you next. <laughs> 